Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. That's inspiring to be able to follow this morning, baptism stories. Yeah, it's a delight. Uh, for those of you who haven't met, I'm Shane. I served here. Uh, I'm part of the pastor's team, the teaching team. Uh, it's actually been 10 months almost to the day since I last stood on this stage, and yet it feels like last week, <laughs> And which is one of the signs of when a place means so much to you, and just you walk back in, and it's like, wow, not only the place, but the people, and to look into different faces here and to know that uh, many I'm still still very much in relationship with. Um, for the, if you don't know, I still operate here out of Sunrise a couple days a week as a, as a counselor, and so I see many faces there as well, but just a delight to be here this morning, especially to lead this next part of our gathering where we examine God's Word, or as I like to say, better, better put, let the Word of God examine us. So would you pray with me as we get started? Spirit of God, believing that you are our teacher, that you are our, that your presence is here with us, and as we put our trust in Jesus, your promise to live in us, and so even as we focus on, on you as the Spirit of God, that you would be here, you would be our teacher and our guide. We pray, believing and hoping in Jesus' name, amen. Ever find yourself facing something so overwhelming at which you felt completely inadequate, and you found yourself thinking or even saying, would somebody, anybody, please just tell me what to do? For me, I have that experience pretty much any time I'm confronted with a house project of some kind. <laughs> Especially if it involves plumbing. Particularly if it involves turning off the water to the house. I don't know. Something about depriving my family of life-sustaining water while the entire time I'm doing the project that gets to me. That and I have those endless thought loops running through my head of those horror stories of catastrophic house damage caused by water leaks that now would have my name on it. Let's just say I feel a little insecure in such moments. That said, the, the most difficult or most challenging and ambitious house repair I ever took, take, took on myself was to replace the exterior windows in a house we owned in Colorado. Quite frankly, not something I ever would have considered doing, except that a neighbor across the street who had the same house plan as ours decided to do his. And I, first I watched him over there doing, oh, he's going to do that. And then I walked over there and then he offered to help him and we replaced a few. And I thought to myself, I could do this. 
We didn't have the money at the time to be able to hire somebody. Or we desperately needed new windows. And so, okay, let's do this. Ordered up the windows. And for some reason, decided to do the first one all by myself. Just as an aside, you and I both know the reason that I did that. It's because real men don't ask for help. So I picked a day, make sure there was no rain in the forecast. I got all everything I needed. I pulled that old window off, felt that moment of shock and horror that now there's a big open hole in the side of my house that I'm responsible for filling. Took that deep breath, did all my measurements, got the new window, put it in, screwed all the way around, took a step back, ready to pat myself on the back, and it was nowhere near level. It was supposed to be square, but I don't know what shape it was, but it definitely was not square. And I sat there, just everything inside of me just dropped, like in horror, like, what am I going to do now? And right about that time, another neighbor happened to walk by, and he said, hey, Shane, what's going on? He saw me there standing, staring at my window, what's going on? So I reached into my pocket, I pulled out my man card, and just handed it over right there. <laughs> Told him what happened, and he explained a few things that I didn't realize. Number one, there are fiberglass windows. They're malleable. They move. And, oh, by the way, the window frame is not actually square, and it's not actually level. You know, it's an older house. It settles at different rates. Plus, contractors, they don't actually make them square. I didn't know any of that. He goes over to his garage, and he pulls, comes, comes back with something about like that. It's called a shim. Never heard of such a thing. Oh, yeah, you use this to level it out. And we installed it together. We took a step back, and it was installed perfectly. And I was now able to do the rest of my windows, many of them actually by myself. So, yeah, home repair is one area of my life that regularly exposes both my need for guidance and my resistance to it. And I don't think I'm the only one in the room. Anybody bail me out here? Anybody else? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. I think something is similar true when it comes to living the Christian life. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are meant to become like him. But how do we do it? Especially when life takes unexpected turns and we face situations in which we feel overwhelmed. When, in those situations where we find ourselves asking, wondering, would somebody please just tell me what to do? And thankfully, we have that someone whose very purpose is to guide and instruct us, namely the Holy Spirit. And so getting to know more about the Holy Spirit as he operates is the motivation behind this teaching series, the Holy Spirit in the writings of Luke. And today I'm going to build on what pastors Paul and James talked about the last two weeks and taking a look at three foundational stories found in Luke chapters 3 and 4 that, about the Holy Spirit's involvement in the launch of Jesus' public ministry. And our central idea for today is this. Trusting the Holy Spirit's presence leads us through pain into purpose. Trusting the Holy Spirit's presence leads us through pain into purpose. The first foundational story found in Luke chapter 3 describes the presence of the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. Now, pastors Paul and James, if you heard the last two weeks, covered that story in depth. So I'm not going to belabor it this morning, but I simply want to emphasize that the Holy Spirit's presence at Jesus' baptism marked the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. But please understand, that moment was one that was anticipated for hundreds of years. This 
the, the, in the, the, script, the Hebrew scriptures had talked about this Messiah. These prophets hundreds of years prior to had said there's this Messiah that will come to the nation of Israel that will rescue, you from, rescue them from bondage and oppression and return them to the prominent place as God's chosen people. And then Jesus, at that baptism moment, that moment had arrived that they were waiting for. When the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in a, in a physical way, in a viewable, visible way, it was reminiscent of how the glory of God descended on the temple of God when King Solomon dedicated it. That moment had that much gravity. So before we move to the second story, we need to pause for a moment and ask a question. After such a moment, fulfilling a longing for hundreds of years, the moment had arrived. If you and I were writing the story, what would happen next? Right? Easy. Triumph. Victory. Success. Right? That's how we would want the story to go. If we're honest, that's how we want our stories to go. When we put our trust in Jesus, it's because we want a better life. And by better, we generally mean on our terms. Material success, relational success, vocational success, pretty much any success we can think of. And we have a pretty good idea of when that success ought to come. Now, right? That'd be a good time. But if you were here last week, you know that's not how the story went. Instead, we read this at the beginning of Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River... He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. And doesn't something about that just strike you as wrong? Now, Pastor James covered this in detail last week, so if you weren't here, you can find his excellent sermon on the Sunrise website. But I want to reiterate this morning that when Jesus fully trusted and fully enjoyed the Holy Spirit's presence at his baptism. The Spirit then led him into the wilderness, into hardship, to be tempted by his adversary. And you may wonder why. Why? Why would he do that? And the simple answer to that is for training. For training. And how would we know that? (laughs) Because it's not new in the story of the Bible. Read through the Bible and you'll find story after story of God leading his people into the wilderness to prepare them for what he had for them to do. The same was true for Jesus. So we'll pick up the story in verse 3 of Luke 4. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Now there's a whole lot going on in that passage that we're not going to look at today. Today we're focused on the Holy Spirit's involvement in Jesus' life. 
And with that in mind, I want to draw your attention to the fact that in that story, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned after it said Jesus was filled with the Spirit and followed the, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Spirit is not mentioned in the story after that. The, the, Spirit, the story doesn't describe the Holy Spirit fighting off temptation for Jesus or telling Jesus what to say or in any way directing Jesus' movement. Instead, the presence and the leading of the Holy Spirit came through the scriptures. Did you notice that? It's because Jesus knew what the Apostle Peter later described this way in his second letter. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. The story of Jesus's temptation illustrates that the Holy Spirit's guidance primarily comes through the scriptures. Now, as, I, as soon as I say that, I want to highlight a couple of common misconceptions about when it comes to the Bible. The first misconception is that reading the Bible is merely about gathering information about God and about God's truth. Now, please understand, gathering information about God and God's truth while reading the Bible is very important. It is absolutely necessary, but it's not sufficient. Now, we must experience the truth of the Bible in order to truly know it. We must experience God's truth through the Bible in order to know it. The second misconception, following the Holy Spirit's leading through the Bible is something that will come naturally to us. Nope, not at all. We need to be trained to follow what the Holy Spirit says through the Bible. And training takes the informational truth that we gather and makes it lived truth. So this is what Jesus modeled in our second story. He followed the Spirit into difficulty, into deprivation. As he was confronted by bodily pain and the temptation of the enemy, Jesus applied what he'd learned of God and God's truth through the pain he experienced. This is what the writer of Hebrews summarized this way. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in its way. It's no coincidence that the devil offered shortcuts that would end Jesus' pain and struggle. When life gets hard, and especially when God seems silent, we are vulnerable to shortcuts, offering what we think we need, rather than waiting for what God to provide what we truly need. The three temptations that Jesus, is fa that Jesus faced, provision, power, protection, those are the same temptations we regularly face. Who's going to provide for my need? Who's going to empower me to do what I'm made to do? Who will keep me safe, especially when I face something seemingly impossible? Jesus' successful encounter with the devil revealed how, through, how thoroughly dedicated he was to God's purposes and timing. He refused to take shortcuts to meet his needs apart from God. He knew and demonstrated that a successful walk with God especially through pain and hardship, will take and following the Holy Spirit's lead even, even when we don't know what's going on. But just to be clear, pain and hardship isn't the point. It isn't that God is some kind of cosmic masochist saying, hmm, I wonder what if she could handle this. I wonder if he could handle that. No. No, it's not about the pain and hardship. 
Because the Holy Spirit will always lead us to good. It will always be for our good. That's foundational story. Number two, showing Jesus trusting the Holy Spirit's leading through pain. The third and final story has to do with purpose. So we'll pick up in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So verse 14 again puts emphasis on Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. This time through power, or the emphasis is on power. The Spirit empowered Jesus' teaching ministry in such a way that he began to gain popularity and esteem. But popularity and esteem wasn't his primary purpose. Next, the author, Luke, zeroes in on one particular experience that defined the purpose of Jesus' life and ministry. In verse 16, when it came to the, then when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Here Jesus revealed his purpose, as determined by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only in that moment, but the Holy Spirit thousands of year before, years before through the prophets. Remember, that's how the Holy Spirit speaks and leads. It was no accident that this took place in Jesus' hometown. In that time, one's purpose was determined by place and family. But Jesus declared his primary allegiance to God's calling through the Holy Spirit. And everyone, as you notice there, seemed intrigued, but also confused. Now, wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he supposed to be a carpenter like his daddy? A lot of times, our sense and our sense of what we ought to be doing comes from feedback from others, from pressures from others. Jesus is clear that, no, it's going to come from God's Spirit's calling on him. And what happens next is a bit like what happens when you throw a rock at a hornet's nest. Jesus made it clear that his purpose was not going to fit their expectations. Verse 23, then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was, instead sent, he was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Jesus shared two stories from their collective history. And he picked two of their ancient heroes, ones they loved to hear from. Only the stories he told were not stories that fit their preferred narrative. 
but rather stories that emphasize God's ex- unexpected and seemingly backward nature. Sometimes how God works doesn't make sense to us. Highlighting those stories about Elijah and Elisha and their history might like, be like me sharing a story of how George Washington helped the British or Abraham Lincoln somehow worked for the Confederacy. It's something like that. Or it would be like, whoa, what's going on here? Clearly the stories were meant to pick a fight. Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, was singularly focused on what he was called to do, not on what others expected him to do. And when they quickly and angrily turned on him and even tried to kill him, he needed every bit of his wilderness training to trust the Spirit's presence to lead him through pain into purpose. Which brings me to the point in our time together where we ought to ask, so what? So what? What difference does this make for us here and now? So I want to put that central idea back on the screen. Trusting the Holy Spirit's presence leads us through pain into purpose. And can we just admit there's one word in there that's harder to hear than the rest of them? Right? Word pain? Yeah. Painful experiences provoke doubt about God and his good purposes. How could there be a good God when I have this that I'm facing? It's in times of pain that we're most tempted to pursue shortcuts to get what we think we need for a good life rather than waiting for God to provide what we need. The Apostle Paul's words in his letter to the Ephesians can help us apply today's stories to our lives. In his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Fools can't handle pain. Fools take shortcuts. The wise know that pain is the training ground for faith. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. As a wise mentor once told me, don't, Shane, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. Verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Here we have the purpose. In other words, give yourself to God's purposes for your life. Verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Think about it. Why do we drink wine? Isn't it an attempt to avoid feeling the pain of life? Not only wine, but any other substances or behaviors, distractions, cell phones, screens of all kinds. Why do we turn to them? So often it's about avoiding pain. The challenge is, is when we give ourselves the shortcuts of any kind, we can, we'll end up ruining our life rather than saving it. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus modeled. That's the invitation that we have to trust the Spirit's presence through the truth that we get from the Scriptures to lead us through pain into his good purposes. Living as Jesus' followers won't come naturally, doesn't come naturally. But thankfully, God does not leave us alone. Through Jesus, he promises his spirit will be with us. Now, you may still wonder, that's great, but how does it look practically? How does it look practically? And there's one spiritual exercise. It's called spiritual breathing that I have, that it's a tangible way to be filled with the spirit, with God's spirit. Here's how it works. When you become aware of a relational disconnect between you and God because of sin and unbelief, first you exhale. In other words, you confess your sin and unbelief and surrender once more 
to God and his good purposes. And then you inhale. You receive God's forgiveness through Jesus and ask God's spirit to fill you and guide you. Especially as you seek to apply what you read in the Bible. Exhale. Confess. Inhale. Receive the forgiveness in the presence of his spirit. Exhale. Confess. And this is just like, just like you cannot stay physically alive without breathing constantly. We can't stay spiritually alive without spiritually breathing. It's a constant endeavor because we stray so easily from the Spirit's leading. I first learned this practice of spiritual breathing near the beginning of my freshman year in college. And it remains a key aspect to how I seek the Holy Spirit's presence and leading in my life. For those of you who know me and remember my time here on the Sunrise staff team, I was, I was here as part of a transition from the work of, work of pastoring to becoming a licensed professional counselor. By the way, it's something that I achieved just this month, that designation. Good. Five year, a five-year journey. Yeah. This month also, I had a birthday. I was 56 years old this month. And I don't know about you, but... Especially as I get older, birthdays provoke reflection. It's like reflecting on life as it has been, life as it will be, right? And so this month I was reflecting you know, on, my, on my birthday through the lens of preparing for this sermon, especially through this idea of trusting the Spirit's uh, presence to, to guide us through pain and into purpose. Simply put, I would not be able to do what I do as a counselor without le the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I don't just say that. I mean, I am utterly convinced I cannot change anybody. And so I am desperate with every, every, everybody who walks into my room. I am desperate for the Holy Spirit's presence to, to lead me, to lead them, to find his good purposes. And it's almost always that people walk into my office in pain and with a disconnect to God's purpose. And I am desperate, Spirit of God, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not here, I'm toast. That's a regular reaction I have in a counseling office. If any people in the room that have met with me, <laughs> just you know. My birthday reflection also caused me to review and remember how God has honed and shaped me for this calling as a counselor. And that honing and shaping primarily came through three wilderness experiences. You may, some of you know, I have an undergraduate degree in aerospace engineering. You might say that was a rather obvious swing and a miss when it came to understanding God's calling on my life. Thankfully, in God's economy, nothing is wasted. And in hindsight, my calling, to which I'm now living out as a counselor, my calling was honed not in engineering classrooms, uh, but particularly through th to two painful relational and emotional episodes. The first was my parents' divorce, and the second was my, the death of my favorite grandfather. And I'll tell you, I was so unfamiliar with my emotional world at the time that those two relational disruptions in my life on top of, uh, you know, engineering, that's not a very easy thing to do, you know, engineering classrooms, things like that. It, they combined together and one particular day I ended up throwing up and I could not stop. And my roommates, not knowing what to do, took me to the emergency room. And the doctor solved my physical problem by giving me the worst shot I have ever experienced. It was kind of a gel su substance and it was put right in the rear. Ooh, man, that hurt. Why did you have to go that way? Anyway, that's another, another story for another time. But then after he stopped my physical symptoms, he explained to me that there's nothing physically wrong with you. You're just going through, you're just emotionally distressed 
particularly with anxiety. Please understand, I grew up going to a church that emphasized memorizing Scripture. And so I had memorized Scriptures like 1 Peter 5.7. Cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Uh, Philippians 4.6. You know, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And yet there I was, puking my guts out in the ER. Obviously, having that information wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough. Now, through a series of events that's more time than we have this morning, the Holy Spirit rescued me in a way that absolutely makes no sense out of God's, outside of God's loving intervention. And it greatly reduced my distress. That difficult season cemented in me a baseline relational trust in God that remains consistent to this day. It also provoked in me this yearning to understand how do people grow and change? How, how does this all work? And so graduated, uh, engineering degree, moved up to Seattle, started my career at the Boeing Airplane Company. But pretty much all of my free time I spent reading basically biblical counseling books, basically trying to understand how does this happen? How do we change and grow? And I even after a couple of years considered pursuing a, a graduate degree in counseling at that time. God had other plans and through a series of events, my wife and I felt called to full-time vocational work and particularly with a company or an organization that was putting on marriage conferences around the country. We took a leap of faith and we left career and extended family and even the Pacific Northwest, moved to Little Rock, Arkansas. That took a leap of faith and in order to work for this organization. And a few years into that, doing work that I loved and the sense of calling and purpose at the same time, a few years in, yeah, things fell apart. Once again, and I reached a place of, of where, where things, I lost sense of who I was, and especially in, in that marriage. And so even as we were doing marriage ministry, my own marriage seemed to fall apart. And in particular, I reached a place where basically I had a nervous breakdown. And severe insomnia and intense panic attacks. Again, once again. Clearly, the information that I had up here needed to be worked into down here. And, through, and, I, and I, two people in particular helped tremendously during that season. One was a pastor and the other was a licensed counselor. And each helped me take what I knew intellectually from the Bible and work it some more, more fully into my life. And through their loving care over a couple of years, and in particular, and then through one particular Inter interaction I had with the Holy Spirit that quite frankly makes, no, again, no sense outside of the work of God. Uh, it was a tangible, literal experience that became a liter literal uh, living metaphor for me about following the Holy Spirit's guidance. That season deepened my understanding of how God divinely works through how he uniquely crafts us. And, and it birthed a call to pastor that led first to seminary and then here to Hillsboro to lead a, a different church in the area. Leading that church was a great honor and responsibility that also came with immense emotional and relational challenges. If you don't know that's a part of pastoral work, it is. And be, please be praying for your pastors here. And it, it, it called on all the emotional relational resources that I had gathered until that time. And it led me into another anxious emotional wilderness experience. It may also have had to do with parenting four teenagers at the same time. <laughs> no matter the cause, 
the wilderness exposed how, despite my best intentions, my sense of purpose was more fully grounded in my performance than it was in trusting the Holy Spirit's presence. As I sought the heart of God, once again, the Holy Spirit led me into another, another tangible surrender experience that further unlocked my love for him, further unlocked uh, the freedom from that anxiety that, that dogged me to where I can, you know, I can say now that I, I just do not experience it to the level that I once had. Not that I won't again, because my history obviously shows that I may get there once again. But each time for God's good purpose, each time to free more of me. In that, in that season, it, it gave me the opportunity to lead that church. Uh, you may know that, I may have shared that story here before about merging with another church in the area, a work that is still thriving to this day, and leading me towards this path of pursuing a, a master's in counseling after 30, the 30 years after I first considered it to more fully step into this calling of walking with people through mental and emotional and relational challenges with confidence in the goodness of God. And it's with that confidence in the goodness of God that I invite each of you to join me in trusting this, God, the, this presence of the Holy Spirit to lead us through pain into purpose. Would you pray with me? So once again, Spirit... Believing that you through your words speak. And you don't speak just in general. You speak to each of us in particular. And there may be some in the room here that, that you have not given your life to Jesus. You have a sense of God's spirit moving because he does move. And he will always, always point you to Jesus. And maybe today is the day you surrender for the first time to the work of Jesus. Realizing you can't do it yourself. You're in a place of pain and, and you can't do it yourself. Help is available. Or maybe you are already a follower of Jesus and maybe this season right now finds you in a season of pain and wondering, God, have you abandoned me? Please have confidence that the Spirit is present here. He is present with you and he is leading you through that pain to his good purposes. So Spirit, we trust that to you. Would you take each of our stories? Would you do the work that only you could do? We put our hope in you through the name of Jesus. Amen.